The scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God. Amen. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Brittany, so much. Uh, so fun to have you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew, and I've, I get to serve as one of our pastors here at Frontline. Uh, it, we are jumping into a series called Rooted. We started last week. So if you've missed last week, you haven't missed too much. And the idea behind this series is that there's something dramatic that happens to a person when their whole life starts to be wrapped around Jesus. Uh, when Jesus calls you to himself, when he invites you to himself, he takes all these disordered, chaotic, crazy things in our lives and he begins to restructure and reform us into new people that live in new ways. And this affects the way that we start to relate to the world around us. It affects the way we re uh, relate to the church. It affects the way that we respond to marriage or to singleness or to parenting or to work or to rest. So over the next few weeks, that's, what's we're gonna, that's what we're gonna be looking at. We're gonna look at these various acts aspects and elements of our lives that Jesus is restructuring and reordering. And I think this is actually really helpful if you've been uh, maybe hurt by the church or maybe you're trying to figure out what you believe about Christianity because this is gonna give you a clear vision of what Jesus really wants to do in and through you. Uh, one of the guys that I think has, has put words to this the best is a guy named Os Guinness. And here's what he says. He says, the truth is that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything that we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. That's what we're talking about in this series called Rooted. So today what we're gonna talk about is our relationship to the church. Now, right when I say that, 
I know that there's some guttural reactions in the room and not all of them are positive. Uh, there's a few different ways that people in Oklahoma tend to view the church. It's probably safe to say that we have a really complicated relationship with the church in Oklahoma. And it doesn't matter if you were born in the church or raised in the church or not. If you have lived in Oklahoma for any length of time, you have some relationship with the church. Maybe it's a bad one. Maybe it's a, I hope I never see that again. Maybe you knew some Christians that went to church and it left a bad taste in your mouth. But whatever it is, we all have in, in many respects in Oklahoma and probably in the Midwest, some sort of relationship to the church. And I think there are probably three buckets that we could put our view of the church in, three common uh, buckets. So the first one is what I want to call cultural Christianity. Uh, cultural Christianity is uh, people that don't really think much of church because they inherited whatever church tradition that they have, just like they did blue eyes or brown skin. It's just, well, this is what my parents gave me, and this is how I've always done it, and this is what we've always done. So yeah, I go to church because my dad went to church and my grandma went to church and it's just what we do in the Midwest. We don't have mountains and we don't have the ocean, so it's the next best hobby that we could come up with, uh, cultural Christianity. So that's one way I think that people commonly see the church. Another bucket is uh, consumer Christianity or consumerism. And this is really, really popular in Oklahoma. I have a buddy from Southern California that he came into town and we were having coffee together and we met downtown and he drove uh, downtown to meet me. And, and the first words out of his mouth, I've said this before, but the first words out of his mouth were, oh my gosh, there are churches on every corner. How is this possible? And I, and I forget living in Oklahoma that it's, it's actually unique to have churches on every corner. Where he's from, that's not the case. Now that's a good thing in many respects to have a lot of different churches, right? That's a good thing. But there can be some negative aspects to that for a few reasons, but one of them is because often what happens is our relationship to the church starts to devolve into what can you do for me? And, and almost because we have so many options, it's like Burger King Church, have it your way. And, and we start to drink that Kool-Aid without even realizing it. C.S. Lewis in his excellent book, uh, talking about one demon that is mentoring another demon, the Screwtape Letters. Uh, this is, by the way, not like a real thing. This is a satire that he wrote. Uh, and what he's trying to articulate is how this older demon wants to help this younger demon destroy the faith of this British Christian who started to go to church and actually enjoy it. And in that part of this book, he says this. He says, surely the older demon to the younger Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, who in the story is God, wants him to be a pupil. This is really popular in Oklahoma to make comments like, well, I didn't really like the worship or I, I prefer the preaching over there or I love the kids ministry at that church. And I've met people, true story, that have not one church, but three or four churches that they regularly try to attend, right? So this is just what we do. It's a culture of consumerism. And a third bucket, another way to see the church or view the church that's pretty popular is to be concerned about the credibility of the church, 
Now listen, I get this, because if you think about our past and our history, uh, there's some things in our past and our history that we need to own up to that are wrong and that are broken and that are sinful. Even today, like if you think about this year, it's like, wow, this isn't a great year to be a Christian in the eyes of the world because uh, we've had sex scandals and we've had all these weird, crazy, broken things rise to the surface. And maybe you're so sick of uh, certain political uh, parties being wrapped around evangelical Christianity. And it's just, you know, you're just, it's left a bad taste in your mouth. One author, he said it this way. He said, when the church is functioning at its best, there's simply no community on earth that can rival it. And that's true. I've seen that in the life of the church. But he goes on to say, but when the church is functioning at its worst, there's no community on earth that can do as much damage. And I've also seen that. He says, history itself proves this point. The church has served untold millions as is evidenced by the number of churches, hospitals, orphanages, schools, relief agencies that Christians have founded and operated. But... The church is brutalized untold millions as the medieval inquisition and the religious wars of the 17th century also demonstrate. So how do we understand this relationship to the church? Like, and maybe a better question is, do we even need to have a relationship to the church to also have a relationship with Jesus? Is it possible to just follow Jesus and and not have any relationship to the church? And, and maybe even the best question to ask is, why, why did Jesus institute this thing called the church in the first place? What was his thinking? What was his heart? What was his vision behind what he wanted the church to be and to do in our world? Well, here's what's really interesting. The passage that Brittany just read for us, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, there's a man named Paul who's writing about the church. Now, I just want to pause there. Paul writing about the church. That's not breathtaking if you don't know anything about his past. But if, you've, if you know a little bit about who this man is, his past is one where there was a time in his life where he was trying to actively destroy the church. Paul actually saw the church as a threat. He saw the church as a problem. He saw the church as something to be destroyed. And yet here he is some years after that event, having encountered Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus did something in his soul to where now his very relationship with the church is is reoriented and different. And now rather than him being Paul, the persecutor of the church, he's Paul, the church planter. He's actively loving and planting churches, hoping to see more churches thrive and flourish. And he introduces, I think, one of the most breathtaking, beautiful, insightful metaphors for understanding God's heart with the church. Look at it with me in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. This is the metaphor that I want you to see today. He says, for just as the body, the human body is one and has many members, like arms and legs and fingers and toes, And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now look at this. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, culture you are, background you are, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever. All of us in Jesus have been baptized into one body, slaves or Greeks, uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's the big idea that I want you to see, that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us from something, but he saves us into something. And this is incredible. Like, it would have been enough had Jesus just saved us from sin. That's why he came. He came to save us out of our sin, to deliver us. So he lives the life that we couldn't live. 
He dies the death on a cross that we didn't want to die. He absorbs the wrath of God and the justice for our sin in our place. He rises again and he comes to us and he offers us a new identity. Like, can you just imagine? There, there are things in my life where I've sinned in ways that I just, I was hoping I could have a new identity. And in Jesus, in many ways, he's offering us a new identity. This is amazing. He saves us from our sin. So now my relationship with Jesus is forever changed. I'm no longer seen as an enemy of God. I'm now seen as a friend. And because of his death and resurrection, I'm adopted into the family of God. And yet, I'm not just saved from something. But what he's saying here is that when Jesus saved us, he saved us into the body of Christ, into the church. This is bizarre. It means that you, if you are in Jesus, and I get not everybody in the room is, but if you are a follower of Jesus, then now there's, there's something that's happened to where it's not just that this right relationship with God has been restored, but you have been brought into the church and made a member of the body of Christ. And a member, not in the card-carrying sense of like, I've got a membership to this gym, but a member is in an arm or a leg or a finger or a toe. Like you are, you are intimately connected to Jesus and his church. This is a, a profound metaphor and we, we could unpack it all day, but we don't have all day. So I just wanna pull out three brief things that I hope will start to shape the way that you see the church. So he, here's the first one. I want you to see the church as counterculture. The church as counterculture. I really think that this body metaphor is very difficult for us in the Midwest to understand probably us in the Western culture in general to understand. Not because the words on the page of our Bibles are confusing or hard to comprehend, but the very concept of being intimately connected, not just to Jesus, but to his church, is something that rubs against the core of who we are as a culture. Just think for a minute about what culture is preaching to you, what culture is evangelizing you in, what culture is discipling you in, and whether you realize this or not, Monday through Saturday, the, the way of the world is forming you and teaching you that the highest value is personal autonomy and individual freedom. That if there's any restrictions or traditions or religion put on you, you should throw it off and you are an autonomous, free individual. You can self-actualize, you can define your own reality, you can become who you wanna be and nobody can tell you you're wrong if you're really expressing what's honestly you on the inside. And so this is what culture is discipling us in all the time. And so what happens by, by nature is we just have this aversion to anything that feels like commitment, we have an allergy to anything that feels like restrictions. If anything's gonna limit my personal autonomy and freedom, then I'm gonna throw it off. You even hear this in marriage. Yeah, I just wasn't happy, so I left, right? So it's like no restriction, no, no, nothing that's gonna, gonna put me inside of a box. And so what's happening for us is, especially with millennials on down, we just have this absolute aversion and allergy to anything that feels like commitment or restriction. And yet, look at the countercultural nature of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 21. Just think about this and how different the way of Jesus is to the way of the world. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Look at this. 
God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then look at this. He says, if one member suffers, what happens? All suffer together. If one member is honored, what happens? All rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, culture says, you're on your own. You're an isolated, autonomous individual. And the Apostle Paul comes in with this very countercultural new way of seeing the church. And he says, no, no, no. You are no longer an autonomous individual. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are now deeply, profoundly connected to the church, so much so that you are a part of the body of Christ now. This is bizarre. And it's so different than how we typically think. Right? You are no longer free to just live however you want and do whatever you want to do and say, you can't tell me what to, like all of that goes away in Jesus because we're not just brought to Jesus, but now we're brought to the church. And what I do has a profound effect on you. And what you do has a profound effect on me. And if you're suffering, I'm suffering. And if you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. That's God's vision for the church. He didn't just save you from sin. He saved you into the body. And this changes the way that we start to relate to the church. I want to show you a photo of what I think most people in Oklahoma uh, view themselves as. So this photo, we'll throw it up. Uh, the person on the left, this great drawing, uh, the one on the left is I think how most of us in Oklahoma envision our lives as Christians. I'm an isolated, autonomous individual. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I follow Jesus. But I juggle these things in my life. So I've got work and hobbies and church and relationships and marriage or singleness or whatever. So I'm this individual and church is just one of the many things in my life that I juggle. What Paul is saying is actually giving us a vision of living as this right side of the frame, which is where you realize that you're not just a Christian, but you're a part of the church. And church isn't just something that you juggle along with everything else, but it is the way that you live now. It's actually the way that you live out your relationship to Jesus. And it's not one of the many hobbies in your life or one of the many events, but all the other things actually become this thing that live subordinate to your relationship to Jesus as a part of the church. If you got a hold of this, this would absolutely change your relationship to Jesus and his church. Absolutely change. This is the way that Paul is trying to get us to see ourselves now. Before, we were isolated individuals but Jesus came in and he saved us from sin into the body of Christ. It's countercultural. Here's the second thing I want you to see. If that's true, if it's really true that, that it's this countercultural reality, why does it matter to functionally live that out? Not just spiritually be a part of the body, but functionally and practically be a part of the body. Well, here's the second reason. Church as transformation. I want you to start to think of the church as transformation. There was a recent Barna poll that was put out, and Barna is a research group, professional research group, that is constantly putting out various polls to assess where people are in all things religion. And one of the polls that was recently done by Barna was trying to figure out why people who claim to be Christians rarely or infrequently attend church. So yes, you check the box, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. Why do you rarely or infrequently attend church. And the biggest, without doubt, it's, it was interesting to me, I thought people would say the preaching's terrible 
or, you know, the kids ministry isn't great. Like they don't offer my kids, you know, free t-shirts and, you know, whatever, like elephant rides or whatever. Um, and, you know, there's no volume controls on the chairs so I can turn down the worship if I don't like it or whatever. Like I thought that would be the answer, but the, the most common reason why is people say, I prefer to practice my faith on my own or I worship God alone by myself. Now, it's really interesting if you actually dig in a little bit deeper and look at how many of those people that infrequently attend church and say that they prefer to practice uh, uh, their relationship with Jesus on their own, how many of them read their Bible? It's like hardly any of them read their Bible. So it's like, well, how are you actually following Jesus? You're just claiming to be a Christian and literally having no relationship with Jesus or his church. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is this idea, this metaphor of the body of Christ. Think about your own human body. And this is what the Apostle Paul, and this is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. The, the way that your own human body works is that it needs connection to the rest of the body and to the head for life and health and nutrients. And if you cut something off, if you amputate your left arm and you toss it on the ground, it's not going to keep thriving. It's not gonna keep flourishing. It's not gonna grow, but it will wither and it will die. Why? Because it's cut off from the body. In order to experience depth and health and vitality, it needs to be connected to the nutrients. And this is exactly the, the type of picture that the Apostle Paul is trying to give us. And in fact, he says that again in Ephesians chapter four. Let me just show you this connection between being connected to the church and your spiritual health and growth. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, the head of the body, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, look at this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, what this is saying is that if you actually want to experience depth and health and transformation and vitality and maturity, you cannot do that as an autonomous, isolated individual. It can't happen. There is no way to long-term have a fruitful, thriving, flourishing relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship of depth and health with the church. There's no way. This is countercultural, but the church is meant for your transformation. Now, here are at least two reasons why I think it's true that we actually need each other to grow, and you can't grow in your relationship with Jesus by yourself. The first is I think that we always think that we're better than we truly are. I think we think that we're better than we truly are. Do you remember the first time you ever heard yourself on a recording, like your own voice on a recording? Do you remember that? I was, I was probably eight or nine years old and I had called my grandma and grandpa and left a voicemail. And then sometime later, I think it was that day, I was at their house and my grandma played the voicemail and I was in horror at how I sound. It's like, really, that's what I talk like? Like, that's how the world, no, I'm not that weirdo. I don't know who that weirdo is, but that's not how I talk. And then it's like coming to grips with, oh no, that's really how I sound to everyone. Everyone hears my voice sound just like that. Do you remember that time when that happened to you? Do I really sound like that? I think that's what happens when you start to engage community for real. Is you're like, do I really treat people like that? Do I, do I really do that? Am I, 
are those thoughts really inside of me? And what happens is over time, we are exposed for who we truly are. And that's not God not loving us. That's God loving us so much that he's even committed to our transformation and growth. And so here's what happens in community. Ronald Rohheiser says this. He says, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and our lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. You need each other to grow because you actually need to have people in your life that can see the real you and be committed to the real you and love the real you and all of a sudden this mirror shows up in your life and Jesus' love begins to change you. This is one of the reasons why, this is a side note, this is a freebie. This is one of the reasons why I think as especially quote unquote evangelical Christians who are white, we have done a horrible, horrible job with our African-American brothers and sisters, with our Hispanic and Latino brothers and sisters, and probably any other culture, but especially those two. I think we've done a horrible job because we're trying to do this and have these conversations without any sort of relationship. There's no unblinking eyes looking back at us to help us see where we are wrong. So this is why we need the depth and the health of the body of Christ. Here's the second reason why I think it's really impossible to have a thriving relationship with Jesus apart from having a relationship to the church. You actually can't follow the majority of what Jesus calls you to as a Christian if you do it in an isolated individualistic way. You just can't. If you take just kind of a cursory reading of the New Testament, Virtually everything that Jesus calls you to do is impossible to do as an isolated, autonomous individual. Consider the one another commands for just a minute, the one another commands of scripture. So let me show, show you some of these. Um, be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. We don't have time to dig into that. Uh, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. You see a trend? Um, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's really easy to do all of these things by yourself in the privacy of your own room, right? It's really hard to do this in real community. On, honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Here's another one. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. We're doing great at that as a culture, aren't we? Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a bit odd. We don't have time for it. Uh, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Have equal concern for each other. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Next slide. Let you look at those. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. 59 commands. Now, do you get the point? There are so many things that the Bible calls you to as a follower of Jesus. How do you expect to live this out as an isolated individual with no relationship to the church? It cannot be done. Don't say, well, my coworker or my... This is what Jesus intended for the people of God as the body of Christ. This is why we have community groups, by the way, and not just Sunday gatherings, because this is not fully church. This is like 20% of what we do. Most of what we do has to be lived out in real relationship with one another. So church is the place of transformation. And then here's the last and final thing I want you to see. 
church, not just as counterculture, not just as transformation, but church as mission. Church as mission. The end game that Jesus has for the church is not to have a group of clustered up individuals that are just really good at loving one another, you know, and really polite and really kind. That is not the end vision that Jesus has for his church. What he's all about, what he's trying to do with the church is actually uh, create this countercultural community of people that are being transformed by the grace and gospel of God in such a way that as they're living in the world, life begins to look radically different, not just in their relationship with each other, but in the relationship to people who are lost and in relationship to the darkness that exists in our world. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 about this very idea. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The the whole point is the church should be seen by the world. And and Jesus later in John, he says this, he says, they will know that you are my disciples, how? By your excellent knowledge of the Bible? No, by your profoundly good theology? No, by your, by, how will they know? They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So it's actually meant to be lived out and expressed in such a way that the world goes, man, I I don't know about what you believe, but that's attractive to me. There's something here of substance and of beauty and that's unique and they're drawn. And and, and here's what I want you to see. The, The whole metaphor of the body of Christ, we're members of this body of Christ, is because the tangible presence of God is actually felt and seen and experienced. How? Through the church the way that people are supposed to experience the presence of God is through the people of God. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Like we literally are the hands and feet of Jesus on planet earth. Jesus hasn't left the earth. He's he's actively working and ministering in the world through the church. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so we are supposed to see darkness and push it back. We are supposed to find people that are far from God, who are in desperate need of grace, and offer them the mercy and the grace of Jesus. We are the presence of God in the world. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't it mind-blowing? You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, I carry the presence of God with me. He no longer dwells in a temple or in a tabernacle. He dwells in us as the church. And the world is supposed to experience the benefit of that. This is a truth that I really want you to understand and really grab hold of. It's one of the most important things you can get when you think about the mission of God. God rarely does for us what he longs to do through us. He rarely does for us what he longs to do through us. He could just blink an eye and wave a magic spiritual wand and fix the world, but that's not what he's chosen to do. He's actually lovingly invited us to play. He's invited us to participate to help push back darkness in our world. My kids, uh, my, my two daughters, I've got three kids, two girls and a boy. My two oldest kids are getting to the place where they can start uh, helping with chores around the house, which I've been waiting, literally, I've been waiting for years for this moment, and it's finally occurring. Um, so my oldest daughter is doing the dishes the other night, and she broke multiple plates. Um, so not so great, you know? Uh, the dishes didn't get cleaned properly. I mean, it was just a complete train wreck. But because I love her, 
and I'm committed to her depth and maturity. And because it's just fun, I mean, she was like having a blast while breaking plates, you know. Um, because I'm committed to her, it's actually worth me going through the pain and the frustration of her doing what I could do so quickly because I just, I want her to be able to come participate and do the things that I'm doing. That is the heart of God the Father for you and I. He could just do it but he rarely does for us what he wants to do through us. Some of you, you're, you're complaining about, man, why is this in the world? And what about this brokenness? And I wish God would do something about that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the body of Christ. You're a member of the body. And it is actually our, our responsibility and our calling to come and to step into that and to push back the darkness, to take this beautiful truth that we carry in our chest of the good news of the gospel to people who are far from God. It's our job. It's our responsibility. Have you ever heard of The uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly? It's a, it's a book that was later turned into a movie. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is about a French journalist and an editor, editor of the French magazine Elle. And this is a while ago, but he had a, a massive, massive stroke and it left his entire body, except for his left eye, uh, totally unable to move. It's actually a real syndrome. It's called locked-in syndrome. It's where uh, your whole body won't respond uh, to your brain, to your head. But what was happening with him is he's totally fine and functional, cognitive, mentally, but the only part of his body that he could move was his left eye. And actually, this picture right here that we have up is him attempting to communicate by blinking his left eye. So he eventually developed a system of communication with some help that he would blink a certain number of times for a certain letter of the alphabet, and then he'd spell words. And it was just this long and painful, arduous process of trying to communicate to the outside world. What's really interesting is he actually went on to write a book in this state called uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly that, again, won tons of awards and was later turned into a movie and can you just imagine what he would have been capable of doing had the rest of his body functioned properly? Can you imagine? I sometimes think that Jesus must feel this way about his church. It's like, well, at least the left eye is working, you know? Like 90% of it's not, but the left eye is working and work. All right, we can do something with this. Imagine, just can you imagine if Frontline was a church where those who are followers of Jesus caught the vision that Jesus had for his church and it wasn't just one or two of us, it wasn't just a left eye, but we functioned as the body, that we responded to the head. Can you imagine what could be done in our city for the cause of the gospel? Could you imagine what would happen in the kingdom of Jesus? This is his vision for the church. So here's how I wanna close, and I'll be brief. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I'm gonna keep it really simple today. I think that probably many of us, me included, have some unhealthy relationships with the church, ways of relating to and seeing the church. And today Jesus is inviting us to repent of that. Some of you, you've been so hurt by the church in the past, maybe even hurt by this church, and you find it really hard to trust and really hard to re-engage and open up your heart again to the church. I wanna invite you, the risk is totally worth it to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. Maybe today repentance looks like putting away your consumerism, putting away the uh, tangential preferences that you carry with you about the church and not just being someone that shows up once a month, not just being someone that just shows up on Sundays, but you become a part of the body of Christ in a functional way. You actually live out your relationship to Jesus 
in the context of the church. I wanna just invite you in whatever ways you need to, to repent and re-up your commitment to Jesus and his church today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's one other metaphor that is used. There's a few, but there's one really special metaphor that's used of the church. It's not the body of Christ, it's the bride of Christ. What I want you to know is that before you do anything, before you turn over a new leaf or turn your life around, the way that God the Father sees you, the way that his heart feels about you, is the way that a, a, a groom feels about his bride on his wedding day. He's just head over heels in love with you. And he's moving towards you with affection. And he's not demanding that you fix yourself. He wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new identity. So today the invitation is to come to Jesus. Leave the rest up to him. He will transform you. He will begin to change you. But before you become a part of the body of Christ, I want you to realize that he's been pursuing you the way a husband would pursue his wife on his wedding day. So in light of that, would you stand with me today